0: For everyone else, it's summer vacation, but not for you. We've enrolled you in summer school. Welcome to the College of Blister Knowledge. We're glad you popped in. We're going to do all we can today to prevent this universal trail trial. Then, on the Summit Gear Review, a water filter that performs equally well in nearly dry creek beds, or in rushing glacial runoff. And one of our first 40 milers will share a wild trip that he took with some friends. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles.
1: Okay class, let's get started.
0: Yes, welcome to the College of Blister Knowledge. I'll be your instructor today. Get out your pen, get out some paper. We're gonna take some notes here, talk about blisters.
1: Wow, that sounds exciting.
0: (laughs) Blisters. Oh my goodness. I remember the first blister that I got when I started preparing for my first backpacking trip and it freaked me out. I went on a couple of shakedown hikes before my first backpacking trip. And on the first shakedown hike, I just wore my tennis shoes, ones that I'd been used to. But I'd purchased a half size larger kind of hiking shoe, and I wore that on the second shakedown that I did, not even thinking that I would end up with a blister on a shakedown hike. But at the end of the hike, I took off my shoe and saw this lovely huge blister, and I was like, oh no, now I'm not going to be able to hike. Like, I didn't know what a blister meant, I didn't know how fast I would recover. It was just kind of this. Oh, no. A moment for me.
1: Up until a week before this hike, you weren't going on the hike. It was just me with some others. And then you got invited just a week before the hike. And so when you were just a few days out from the hike and you get a blister, you know, you didn't have much of a reference point, I guess, to figure out, well, great. Does this mean that when I get on the trail next Monday... I'm going to have blisters all over the place.
0: And a lot of people have experience with blisters on the trail. It's just one of those things that's almost a universal trail trial. And a lot of the information that I got for today's episode I took from a book called Fixing Your Feet by John Von Hoff. And if you're wondering how do blisters actually form, he sums it up in one word.
1: Shear. Maybe to think about sheer force, we can think about a deck of cards. Or, well, let's just take two cards to make it simple. Uh, a king of hearts and an ace of spades. I'm just making That's this up. so random. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, we're going to put the ace of spades on top of the king of hearts. This is starting to sound like a card trick. Okay, so shear force is when you slide the ace of spades off of the king of hearts it just slides off to the side and you know those playing cards have that cool plastic coating so they're so slick and there's very little friction involved but that's a shear force where you're sliding one surface against the other that's different than compression force that would be if you were to put your hand on top of that two card pile and push down on it and if you just push down on that uh, ace against that king really nothing happens. I mean, the two cards just sit there. But when you slide your hand uh, sideways, that's when you get the one card sliding off from the other card. So it's not that heat, friction, and moisture don't contribute to blisters. They do in the presence of that sheer force. And then the heat, friction, and moisture, I think, kind of make this uh, this kind of self-propelling cycle where friction causes heat and heat leads to sweating, which causes moisture, and the moisture increases the friction, and you know, round and round you go. But none of that matters when it comes to blisters, unless there is some sheer force happening.
0: So if you've suffered from blisters in the past, you're probably wondering, well, what works? I've tried everything. Is there a silver bullet that you're going to share with me today? Everyone will have their own causes and their own cures for blisters. And if what you're doing right now hasn't worked too well in the past, then hopefully our top five list today will help you discover something new that you can try that will help you to reduce shear.
1: The first way to reduce shear is to reduce pressure. Think about that analogy of the cards again. And what happens if you're just touching lightly on the ace and you slide it off from on top of the king? It's a very gentle slide. There's not a lot going on there that damages the cards. Now imagine that you are pushing your palm down as hard as you can on top of that ace and trying to shear it off or slide it off sideways from on top of the king. Well, you could end up tearing the cards because of all that increased pressure.
0: So if you're looking for ways to reduce pressure, then using padding or inserts in your shoes can help to reduce some of that pressure. Just giving a little bit of softness under your feet, somewhere for your feet to kind of cradle themselves, that can help. However, reducing your overall all weight, either your pack weight or your personal weight, can go a long ways to reducing shear.
1: So your feet have a certain amount of weight that they're carrying against the ground so that's where the pressure happens and uh, like you said a couple ways to do that a couple ways to reduce all of that pressure is either reduce the weight that the feet are carrying that's that's great you could take 10 pounds off your pack but you could also take 10 pounds off of you (laughs) and either way that's 10 pounds off of your feet or if you can distribute that pressure so you know imagine if you're going to try to walk on your heels Well, you'd probably get blisters really quick because all of the weight is on your heels. But if you can distribute the weight through padding or a nice nice, uh, kind of open toe box in your shoe that allows your toes to spread out and take some of that pressure, all of those things help.
0: That's a really great point. A lot of times we spend our day in shoes that squish our feet together and our toes were meant to spread out and I guess be more like duck's feet and provide that balance and stability. The more you can spread your toes out and spread your uh, foot bones out, the more balance you'll have and the more the pressure will be distributed over your whole foot.
1: Yeah, there's just a caveat there. Uh, If your shoes are too big, then you get all kinds of movement of your foot inside your shoe that's not productive. You just get all this extra movement and a whole bunch of sheer forces going on. So I guess there's kind of a balance there If your shoe is too tight, you're going to have those pressure points where there's too much pressure, and that's where you're going to get blisters. And if your shoe is too loose in the wrong places, then you're sliding all over, and then you've got blisters from that.
0: (laughs) Well, the number two way to reduce shear is to reduce moisture. And there's a few good ways to do this. You can wear thinner socks. And we've talked in the past about wearing two different socks as a way to um, reduce friction, But if you're not having luck with that, then try a thin little liner sock and see if that can help you to avoid blisters. Another thing you can do to reduce moisture is to reduce your activity level. This doesn't sound like a lot of fun, especially when you're hiking, but it's an option. Slow down. Don't push yourself so hard. Maybe uh, take a break. Take your socks and shoes off. Reduce your activity level and you'll reduce moisture.
1: We're also big fans of minimalist shoes. They tend to do a better job of letting the heat escape. And when the heat escapes, then you don't get that moisture buildup because you've got that ventilation.
0: Yeah, that's true. And also, if you're going to be hiking and it's hot, don't bring a waterproof shoe because that can trap some of the moisture. And even though it says it might be breathable waterproof, it can only keep up with so much moisture that your foot's producing.
1: There's no way it's going to be as breathable as a sandal or something really lightweight and thin. Uh, a few weeks ago on Twitter, one of our listeners uh, commented about baby powder, which we've we've talked about powders in the past. And you can apply some baby powder or the Gold Bond medicated powder that we've reviewed before uh, onto your feet. And uh, that helps with moisture, where it can help to kind of draw the moisture out away from your skin to where it can evaporate. Uh, but this listener, they thought it was interesting that that baby powder can be made of talc, or of cornstarch and talc is the stuff that really works and then cornstarch is the thickener that you use in the kitchen you know to uh, absorb a lot of water and hold on to it
0: yeah cornstarch has always been kind of a confusing one because it's a i mean it converts into a sugar it's a carbohydrate and if you have any problems with foot fungus, wouldn't the fungus just kind of feed on the cornstarch?
1: Mm, yeah, good nutrition there. Yeah. That, so go for talc.
0: <laughs> yeah, go for talc. And there are other products out there that aren't powders, like body glide. I don't think it does much to absorb moisture, but um, it can help reduce friction. And that's our number three way to reduce shear is to reduce friction. So when things are stuck together, that causes friction. So moist skin is stickier and will cause more friction.
1: So that's the other way that uh, something like baby powder helps out. Not only does it help to draw the moisture away from your skin, but it also reduces friction.
0: Yeah, it's like having tiny little ball bearings on your skin.
1: The other big solution for friction is to have multiple socks multiple layers of socks. So have a thin liner sock right on your foot. And the idea is to have that sock fit snugly and have no friction between that sock and your foot. Or in other words, no movement, I guess is what I mean. So that sock moves exactly with your skin. And then another pair of socks outside of that sock. And if there's any friction going on, you want it to be between the two pairs of socks rather than between the liner sock and your skin. So that second layer of sock can really help out with either reducing friction, or I guess the other way to put it is that it moves the friction to a different place. I'd rather replace my socks than get blisters. And, you know, it's kind of hard to replace my skin. It takes a while, quite a while.
0: (laughs) And with some hikers, it's not the friction that happens between their foot and the shoe it's actually friction that happens between two toes that can't get along well together. So an option for that is to either tape a toe, just use some kinesiology tape or paper tape or just something to kind of separate that toe from the other toes. Or you can use Injinji toe socks, which keeps all your toes separate. They're like gloves for your toes, those little toe socks. Very cute, very fun. The number four way to reduce shear is to increase your skin resilience. If you increase your distance over time, then your skin can kind of get used to all of the forces that are working uh, against it or you know, causing the friction and the shear and the, the moisture. You can kind of toughen up a little bit. But the secret to this is you have to do this over time. You can't just load up on miles and be like, all right, I've got my calluses. Unfortunately, calluses are something that have to be built up. You have to earn your calluses. (laughs) Another way to increase your skin resilience is to keep your foot skin soft and supple. And that means you need to hydrate yourself.
1: Ah, oh, hydrate yourself. I, for a second, I thought you were going to start promoting the idea of pedicures on the trail. No, and I was like, no. you know, I'm going to have to bail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm out of here. No, I mean, I guess you could soak your feet in a creek and then, you yeah. know, cover them with some ointment or something. But no, just keeping yourself hydrated, drinking enough water on the trail. That water goes to every single cell in your body including your feet cells. So that's a great way to increase your skin resilience.
1: And the number five way to reduce shear is to allow for bone movement in your feet. Uh, I guess we touched on this already, but a shoe that's too tight cramps your foot, constricts your bones and skin and everything to where your foot can't make those natural movements that it's supposed to be able to do. And then you get blisters because you get these spots where your foot wants to move but something is preventing it from moving, which causes shear to happen.
0: So if you've tried all of these things, reducing pressure, reducing moisture, reducing friction, increasing your skin resilience, and allowing for natural bone movement in your shoe, and you're still prone to blisters, we have one last fix, and that is to reach for some tape, either kinesiology tape or paper tape. These are easy to find, and they're relatively inexpensive. And they're also breathable, which is huge, and they're smooth and soft. So it's something where if you feel a hot spot, you can grab some kinesiology tape and put it over that hot spot. Or if you have part of your foot that is just prone to blisters, grab some kinesiology tape and put it on as a preventive measure so you won't end up getting a blister on the trail. And it's worth it definitely to have some of this tape rolled up and put in your first aid kit. Um, Try and stay away from duct tape, which is, I don't know how it's been a staple for so long in backpackers packs, because it really is kind of a beast. It doesn't breathe. I mean, yeah, it's durable and I guess it's kind of rugged looking uh, kind of...
1: Oh yeah, you get you get like manly points. Yeah,
0: for... and it's ubiquitous. It's cheap. Um, yeah, but it's not breathable and it leaves kind of a sticky gummy residue on things. So there are definitely better tapes
1: to use. Just last night, a friend of ours was asking me about that advice of using duct tape and just sticking that on your feet. And yeah, I guess if you've got a blister or a hot spot and duct tape is all you have, it will add a layer of artificial skin to your foot, but it certainly won't breathe, as you said, and it'll be, and it'll leave that big, sticky, gooey mess when you try to get rid of it. So the concept, though, is sound, the idea of adding an additional layer of skin to your foot. Just do it with a breathable tape and it's going to be much better.
0: So all of these principles that we've shared today about ways to reduce shear And even that last little idea about using kinesiology tape, I learned these from the book Fixing Your Feet by John Vanoff. If you love your feet or if you have feet issues, this book is kind of like having a podiatrist on your shelf. So we'll have the link to that in today's show notes at thefirstfortymiles.com slash 140. For today's Summit Gear review, we'll be reviewing the MSR Trail Shot. That's Mike Sierra Romeo Trail Shot. (laughs) Or as most people know it, Mountain Safety Research MSR.
1: That's how most people know it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, the MSR Trail Shot is a water filter that has zero setup it's a one-handed squeeze pump and you can fill a one liter bottle in about a minute. The MSR Trail Shot is a squeeze filter that's made of silicone, a hollow fiber filter, and a tube with a pre-filter on the end. And the part that you squeeze is connected to a tube. And the tube at the very end has another little tiny filter to kind of filter out the big chunks in the water.
1: That's the pre-filter.
0: The pre-filter. And you can just put that down in the water. And the tube is about 15 inches long, so you're going to have to be pretty close to the water source. This filter is tested to remove 99.9999% of bacteria and 99.9% of protozoa and particulates. As far as mass goes, the MSR Trail Shot weighs 5.2 ounces and the hand pump part measures about six inches by two and a half inches.
1: For maintenance, the MSR Trail Shot is cleanable in the field, uh, which means while you're out on a trip, you can uh, take it apart and uh, kind of swirl it in some water and that will help to clean it out.
0: Yeah, and this is great because you don't need any kind of back flushing system. You just swish it around and it'll clean itself. For investment, the MSR trail shot is $50. And for trial, this is what I've been waiting for because Josh was downstairs using all of our water filters, filtering all sorts of tap water in our kitchen. So he's got some data for us.
1: Yeah, I was filtering clean water from the tap. Of course, if you're filtering some really dirty stuff, uh, then I think that all of these filters would work a little more slowly because you're going to get things clogged up in the filter but your typical mountain stream is going to be pretty close to these numbers that I got today. Uh, let's see, which one should I start with? Let's save the trail shot for last. Let's go so, in
0: opposite alphabetical order. That never happens. Oh, okay. And in school, my last name started with W and I always got called oh, last. Oh, okay.
1: Always. All right. Well, we can almost start with W. We can start with <laughs> V. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, so what I did was I took a whole bunch of filters And in every case, I primed them, like I I ran some water through them before I tested. Then I kind of emptied them out and started again and did my test.
0: Now, is that something that you have to do on the trail?
1: Well, no, not really. It's just that I noticed that with some of our filters, um, when they're dry, they are extremely difficult to get the water through. And after five or 10 seconds, they get flexible, they get hydrated, and then the water starts flowing uh, more easily. So I didn't want to count that little kind of warm up. Time or whatever it's called. So I kind of pre-wetted every filter before I did the test. And uh, my test was to see how quickly I could filter two cups of water or a half liter. So if we go in reverse alphabetical order, we'll start with the vapor microfilter. This is one where you dump all the unfiltered water into the bag and then you squeeze it out through the filter.
0: Or you can just drink it out.
1: And the vapor, I was surprised, took me 60 seconds to filter that half liter of water.
0: But it might be faster if you're drinking it straight from the container. I mean, the vapor has that going for it, that it's very easy to drink out of.
1: I didn't test to see how quickly I could drink a half liter of water out of the vapor. Because I didn't happen to be thirsty. (laughs) Okay, uh, how about the Sawyer Mini? And that one took me 32 seconds, twice as fast as the vapor. And then I guess we could look at the Katadyn filters. Uh, The Katadyn Hiker is like the old standby. It's the one that I've had for years and years. And I am not gonna count the two minutes that it took me to set up the filter and the two minutes that it took me to take it all apart and put it back in its packaging. (laughs) If you uh, exclude that four minutes of uh, setup and takedown, the Katadyn Hiker, when I was pumping with it, it felt really fast. Uh, But when I looked down at the stopwatch, it took me 30 seconds, so it was just slightly faster than the Sawyer Mini. That kind of surprised me because it felt fast, but you got to remember that the pump going down is pushing water out, and then the pump handle going up is pulling water in, and so you're only getting water coming out with, you know, one side of the stroke. Uh, the catadyne B Free is a water filter that we've reviewed on a past episode. Similar setup to the Vapor and the Sawyer Mini, where you fill the pouch with water and then you squeeze it out, and that also took 32 seconds, so it was tied with the Sawyer Mini. And the Grail water filter, this is a really unique one that we've reviewed on a past episode, where it's a, I guess, would you say a bottle inside a bottle?
0: Yeah, that's a a good description. Okay
1: so or or a piston inside a cylinder that's right. the, that's what we used right, yeah right, the piston in right. the cylinder except the piston is hollow and so you fill up the cylinder with water and then you push the piston down into the cylinder and the water comes through the filter into the hollow piston the grail feels really slow but then i looked at the stopwatch and it only took 20 seconds to filter my half liter of water so that was really impressive and by the way i didn't test out the pen because I know that the SteriPen takes 45 seconds to do a half liter of water, just waving it around in the water. So it's probably the easiest one as far as uh, muscle effort, but 45 seconds.
0: And it's a little bit different than the other ones, in that it doesn't actually filter stuff, it just disinfects.
1: That's true. Okay, so finally that leaves the MSR trail shot uh, in my testing. And, and so what's different about the MSR trail shot is that you've got this um, squeeze bulb pump. It reminds me of uh, going boating with my dad when I was a kid, and you would prime the fuel from the gas tank to the, the outboard motor using this bulb pump that was built into the gas line. And you'd squeeze that a few times, and then you were ready to go boating, I guess, <laughs> ready to start the engine. So the trail shot took me 42 seconds. That was a little bit longer than those other squeeze-type filters, the Cadine B-Free and the Sawyer Mini. So there you go. forty two seconds for a half liter of water, at least in my testing. So, what are your thoughts or I guess your personal preferences on this uh, kind of squeeze bulb style versus having a squeezable pouch where you're squeezing the water out or versus having a pump handle that you're pushing?
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, all of them can kind of exhaust you after a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's our our hand strength, in this modern day and age is not that great. Um, But this right here um, will build your hand strength because you'll be pumping, you'll be squeezing this bulb for a good minute or two, um, getting your liter of water. So after about a minute and a half, you're like, wow, I have really weak hands. (laughs) Um, but it's fun. I mean, it's a different way of getting your water, and um, it's just as effective as the other methods that we have for filtering water. Um, it's really easy to use. And what I love about some of these newer filters that have come out in the last few years is that they've really taken the guesswork out of water filtering. Like you were saying, you used your Katadyn Hiker, which you've had for a long time. Uh, I think it was. Was it a gift from my parents? Yeah. Yeah, a Christmas gift. Um, And it is really tricky to put together. Like if you didn't know what you were doing and you took it out on a backpacking trip, well, I don't know what would happen. What you- well,
1: you would just reverse the, the clean water line with the dirty water line. Yeah. And so that means you could be pumping water through the filter And it's clean when it comes out of the filter, and then it gets contaminated as it goes through the dirty water line because you put it on the wrong end.
0: Yeah, that makes me super nervous. And so with some of these newer filters, and same with the MSR Trail Shot, there's no way you can mess it up.
1: Yeah, because there's no assembly at all. It's pre-assembled, so you're just going to pull it out of your pack and stick the pre-filter into the water and start squeezing.
0: Yeah, it's really, really simple. Um, Another thing I like about this filter is that there's no bag that you have to fill up. So you could go to a semi-dried-up little spring and just put the very end of this filter in whatever water is down there and start pumping away. Um, With some of our other filters that we have, you have to fill up a bag, you know, fill it up with dirty water, and then the filter inside that screws on that will work as water is evacuated from the bag. But there's no bag attached to this. You can just put the tube um, and the little pre-filter down in whatever water you have and pump clean water.
1: Yeah, that's a good point about the differences. Um, If we were to use some of those squeeze bag filters that we have to fill up, say, a, a large hydration reservoir, you'd have to fill that little squeeze pouch with water, squeeze it out into the reservoir, take it apart, fill it up again, put it back together, squeeze again. Uh, some of these as little as a half liter at a time, because that's all the capacity of the bag is. Uh, whereas with the MSR Trail Shot, it's a completely standalone filter. So you can put one end in the water source and you can just start pumping and you can keep on pumping until your three liter reservoir is full.
0: Yeah, and because it doesn't hold water, it's something that you, you could easily take with you on a group backpacking trip and kind of pass it around the group. So while it is a little bit of a workout to use, uh, it's extremely easy. You can pump your water straight from a river or a creek and you don't need to have a deep river to draw from. Oh, one more thing you might want to be aware of is because this is a hollow fiber filter, you're going to need to protect it from freezing. Hollow fiber filters don't do very well when they freeze. They tend to Okay. You know what? One of the things that I like about this that has nothing to do with any of the wonderful qualities that it has, um, it just sounds kind of
1: funny (laughs) when you
0: squeeze it.
1: When it when it's wet but empty.
0: (laughs) Right. (coughs) Kind of has a duck like sound.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Does that make it multi use? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, maybe you could attract ducks.
1: Anyway, we'll have a link in today's show notes to the MSR Trail Shot at thefirst40miles.com/140.
0: Well, we've been collecting stories this year at the 1st 40 slash story. You could just go there, push record, and share your backpacking or hiking story with us. And then we might share it on the podcast. So today we have a really funny story. Jordan shared with us his trip to the Grand Canyon that he took with some friends. Uh, he's a natural storyteller. It was a lot of fun to hear about his wild adventure and his unpredictable friends.
2: Hey guys, I'm a new listener. I just, uh, found your podcast and I'm loving it so far. I, uh, love getting out camping and hiking and all of that. And, uh, we're getting ready for a trail in Manitoba, Canada that crosses into Ontario called the Manterio trail. I think it's a 66 kilometer hike. Um, we only do about a quarter of it, but, uh, you know, it's lots of fun. But uh, listening to your show brought back some memories of a trip that I did about 12 years ago. I'm from Australia and me and two buddies were traveling around the world and we ended in LA and we figured, hey, let's go camping at the Grand Canyon. So uh, we, one of my friends had a cousin in LA and we borrowed some equipment, uh, inflatable mattresses, big heavy tent, um, you know, Coleman stove, you know, big, big stuff, not hiking stuff. So we planned to have like, I think it was seven days, um, at the grand Canyon and just hang out and enjoy the sights. Well, while we were there, we found out that you could hike to the bottom and we're like, yeah, let's do this. This is awesome. So we started kind of working out what we could do. We all had hiking packs and, uh, we figured that, yeah, we could pull this off. We wouldn't have a tent. Um, but the weather was looking good. Uh, We had a tarp and we would just share one giant inflatable mattress. So here we are um, planning it out and my buddies, they're like, we should hike down in the middle of the night. And I'm like, no, you guys are crazy. Like we're not hiking to the bottom of the Grand Canyon on two foot wide ledges that, you know, fall hundreds of meters. Uh, We're not hiking in the middle of the night. And uh, I don't know why they wanted to do it. No idea. Maybe they wanted to avoid the heat. It wasn't that hot. It was like March. Anyway, so this took like two days for me to convince them we are not hiking to the bottom. So anyway, we set off during, the you know, one morning, um, you know, strapped on a giant it, uh, pump, air pump for our mattress. You know, like this was not hiking, but we figured we would do it. And uh, I wasn't all that fit. And my two, guy, two buddies were fit. And the whole time down, they were just leaving me in the dust, and uh, so at one point, um, you know, I got pretty pretty frustrated, and I think I said, you know what, on the way up, you know, we're together, you know, you take some extra weight if you want me to keep up, you know, all of this, anyway, so that first night, we set up our mattress, uh, you know, and we went to bed, we covered ourselves with a tarp, and uh, in the middle of the night, it bucketed, we were not expecting it to rain, bucketed. We got drenched and we still had another night and we're like, how the heck do we dry our our sleeping bags and all of that? And uh, it turns out that there is accommodation at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, but it books out like six months ahead. And uh, amazingly, I don't know how we found this out. Three people had canceled for that night. And so we had bunks available. So, you know, we paid our dues and they had a heater and we cranked it up and dried out our sleeping bag. But what we hadn't considered was the amount of calories that we were gonna burn and we basically ate all our food in the first day and uh people are leaving and we're kind of going you know can we you know do you have any leftovers and they're like yeah take our food we don't want to carry it back up you know it's like a six seven hour walk up and uh so we started getting given food Anyway, so our next night, um, you know, we slept in the bunks and it was wonderful. And the next morning, I'm like, you know what? You guys, were sticking together. And uh, we headed off. So we started hiking up, hiking up. And as we were meeting people coming down, we were hearing stories from people coming down. Hey, have you met these three Aussies who ran out of food, who got rained out, who, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, um, basically screwed up big time. And uh, yeah, funny, you know, it's us. So one of my buddies, he just books it. He is not following my plan. And uh, anyway, he's gone uh, halfway up. And then my other buddy, he starts padding down his pockets going, Holy, I've lost the key to the truck that we'd rented. So he's padding down his pockets and he can't find the keys. And what we ended up finding out was that they fell out of his jean pockets. And my other buddy, who is way gone, found them in the cabin and picked them up and didn't tell anybody so we're hiking back up this uh you know the canyon and we're like oh my goodness what are we going to do we've lost the keys you know rah 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 and he's nowhere to be found anyway so my buddy that's with me he's like you know what why don't i go up ahead catch up with him find out if he has the keys and at least then we can turn around and you know whatever so he gets up to the top and then i get up to the top and both of them are gone The first guy had gone to get the truck. My second buddy decided to go and look for the truck, which is a bus ride away. So he's on a bus and I get to the top and there is nobody around. The second buddy had decided to get off the bus, get another bus back to me and meet me. So I'm standing there and I see him get off the bus. And then he's like, you know, why don't we both go to, you know, find the truck together and meet at the truck. And none of this is organized. None of this is planned. It's all spontaneous and we're, you know, basically split up, right? So we get onto the bus and as it's about to take off, we see buddy number one rock up with the truck. And I am livid. I am so angry uh, about the whole thing because it's just been this breakdown of communication. Anyway, we get off the bus and throw our packs in the back of the truck and I had a walking stick and I threw it into the back of the truck, and it bounced off the tray and smashed the back window. And so that was, um, yeah, that was our trip to the bottom, our completely unprepared trip. And I was a Boy Scout as a kid in Australia, and uh, I am really ashamed at our lack of preparation, but it was an amazing adventure. Um, We almost scared a donkey off the side of the cliff. That was another little side story. You know, it was good times.
0: Well, we want to thank Jordan for sharing his story, and hopefully uh, next time he goes to the Grand Canyon, it will end up a little different than it did the last time he went. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Walter O. Kane. He said, The more that's done for hikers in the forests and woods and mountains, in that far do they fail to get the most out of it. We must retain the challenging character of the wilderness. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. I could turn back time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's reducing shear, <laughs> okay.
1: <it>.
0: oh, <laughs> which is actually the number four way to reduce uh, shear. What? That happens almost every episode. <laughs> I should start putting numbers Numbering next. My dad, to... <laughs> <Watch laughs> I'll squirt you with this MSR trail <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>